All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we are talking about the four players that came off the Falcons reserve COVID-19 list, as well as looking back at my post-draft roster prediction and seeing what thoughts I have on it now two months later. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years. I'm on Twitter at Falcfans and, of course, the host of this preeminent Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode, I will be looking back at my two-month-old roster projection, my post-draft 53-man roster projection, as well as 12 man practice squad we now know that the practice squad has been expanded potentially to 16 players so we'll talk about that a little bit towards the end of today's episode but we'll just sort of go back and revisit it and look back and say okay like now that we're two months later we're at the beginning of training camp you know that roster projection came out on june 5th it's now august 6th as many of you are hearing this episode what has changed you know where what do i feel like do i feel still feel strongly about you know, these players making the team or, or not. So we'll revisit that on today's episode. We'll also talk about as our locked on Falcons lead story, the four players that the Falcons got back from the reserve COVID list and Jalen Hawkins, Danny Etling for you, and Tyler Davidson, and the possibility that that at least the fact that the Falcons getting players back as well as several players in the league uh, coming back from the reserve COVID list this week suggests that maybe just maybe, you know, this NFL season isn't as doomed as we initially thought. You know, we're looking for silver linings anywhere we can take them at this point in time. So that is sort of where our Locked On Falcons lead story will kick off. The Falcons made a series of roster moves on Wednesday, bringing four players back from the reserve COVID-19 list, a temporary injured reserve devoted to players that test positive for and or are quarantined due to COVID-19. Those four players were safety Jalen Hawkins, quarterback Danny Etling, linebacker Foye Olakun, and defensive tackle Tyler Davison. On Tuesday, the Falcons cut three players to create room to bring back the initial three out of that group. And then on Wednesday, cut linebacker Ahmad Thomas to create the roster spot for Davison with four players coming off the reserve COVID-19 list. Now the Falcons just have two remaining players on that list, including safety Jamal Carter and fullback Keith Smith Hawkins was on the list. The longest being placed on it by the Falcons on July 28th. Davison and Etling were added on July 31st and Ola Kuhn went on the reserve list on August 2nd. The exact mechanism that allows players to be taken off the reserve COVID-19 list and added back to the team's 80 man roster is still somewhat ambiguous based off of a memo sent out by the NFL back in July. How long a player will be on the list could potentially be determined by whether or not the player had a positive test and or shows symptoms of COVID-19. That turnaround for when a player can return from the reserve list could potentially be as little as three days like it was in the case of Olakun, and also could potentially be a lot longer with 10 days being cited as a possible date in that previous NFL memo. Hawkins himself was on the list for nine days and the two remaining Falcons currently on the list in Carter and Smith as of Wednesday, August 5th have been on the list for eight days, which suggests that there's potential that they could return over the next few days. 
NFL teams are prohibited from commenting on the exact reason why players are placed on lists, whether that is due to them actually testing positive or being exposed to COVID due to being around other people that have tested positive. The four players that return for the Falcons are among two dozen NFL players that have returned from the reserve COVID-19 list around the league over the past three days this week. Many of those players tested positive in the days since veteran players were reporting to training camp on July 28th to begin several days of COVID-19 testing. But the past week goes to show that the initial concerns before camp kicked off that some players might be sidelined for extended periods of time after testing positive may have been a little bit exaggerated. According to the Atlanta journal constitution, 90 players have been placed on the list with 30 players being reactivated to their respective NFL rosters league wide. So while several players have come back, there are still a lot more that still remain on the COVID-19 list, but the NFL hopes that as we get further into the month of August, that the number of positive tests go down and the number of reactivations go up. And at least a little more than a week into camp officially, it does seem like there's at least some room for optimism that perhaps the 2020 NFL season might be able to survive sans a bubble. So speaking of living in a bubble, let's talk about the NBA side of the lockdown podcast network, where you can find a daily podcast devoted to your favorite NBA team, including the lockdown Hawks podcast hosted by Brad Roland on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you're listening to me right now. And if you find yourself in a bubble, whether that's in Orlando, Florida, in your community across the USA, you know, sometimes you want to be able to get some of the good food and support some of your local restaurants in your community safely from within the confines of your own personal bubble. And that's where DoorDash comes in that allows you to do that. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food that you're craving right now directly to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. With over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia, you can support your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, or the Cheesecake Factory, or if you like me, Zaxby's. Right now, our listeners can get five dollars off and zero delivery fees on their first order of fifteen dollars or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code Locked On. That's five dollars off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code Locked On. Don't forget that's code Locked On for five dollars off your first order with DoorDash. So two months ago on June fifth, as I said earlier, I dropped my post-draft fifty-three man roster projection. And now two months later, looking back on it, I still feel mostly good about the majority of it. As I said, at the end of that episode, there were still about a half dozen or so guys that I had projected making the team that I'm not particularly confident about. They're sort of, let's call them numbers 47 through 53 or 48 through 53 in terms of uh, the guys that I have uh, in the hierarchy of making the team. And those guys were Laquan Treadwell, Kari Lee, the tight end, Justin McCray, the offensive lineman, uh, Deidre Sinat. Josh Hawkins, the cornerback, and Sherrod Neesman, the safety. Obviously, in light of now the fact that the Falcons have signed Darquez Denard, I think that automatically pushes Hawkins off the roster projection. So that is definitely one change I will make since then. Outside of that, I don't know if there's too many other changes. I still feel mostly good about guys like McCray and Sinat, um, but who knows at this point. I think Treadwell's joining those two other guys as of these six guys that I just named are the most relatively speaking safest to make the team. 
as I explained back in June, due to new rules with the roster and the fact that teams can now activate two more players on game days is going from 46 players as it was previously to 48 players this year. Um, it should benefit the Treadwell types of players of the world that are guys that are generally back in roster guys that don't have necessarily a defined role on special teams. I know that probably the Falcons will hope that Treadwell can carve out a role on special teams uh, if he is committed to doing that. So maybe that won't be the case by the time we get to the end of this month. But, you know, I think in the case now for the Treadwells of the world, should he not be able to do that, there is still a little bit more leeway when it comes to roster construction for those types of players, because now you can kind of carry an extra guy in your game day roster. And there's a higher chance that you don't necessarily need him to contribute on special teams in order to be activated on any given Sunday. But as I said, then I still feel like it's kind of a toss up between Sherrod Neesman and Chris Cooper for that fifth safety spot. After you get to Keanu Neal, Ricardo Allen, Demonte Casey and Jalen Hawkins. As I said before, when I'm talking about Jalen Hawkins or my scouting report, um, but I also think, you know, maybe we could throw Cooper into this conversation as well. I'll be curious to see if anybody is pushing Sherrod Eastman for that spot as a personal protector on the punt team. In a normal summer, that would be something that I could potentially glean from paying close attention to the punts during the preseason games. But obviously this summer, we're not going to have that opportunity. And I highly doubt that we're, especially for this specific roster spot, the personal protector and punt team, we're probably not going to hear much about that. That's not going to be a big talking point during the course of training camp from what nuggets we do get um, out of camp this year. You know, I think it's like me and five other people that are particularly interested in things like that. So unless we get some video of Sterling Hoffrichter during a full scrimmage or Ben Katuka during like the one press conference that he's going to probably do between now and the start of the season divulges that specific info. You know, I think this is going to be something that we'll have to guess at. But, you know, a summer without preseason, I think, is going to be for me, at least pretty weird. Uh, there are going to be some developments, at least in my perspective, that I think may come out of nowhere. Um, and you know, a example of that is you go think back to the 2015 season where the Falcons at the end of camp cut Joe Hawley and then put John Asamoah on, uh, IR, you know, and they benched both of those guys that summer during the course of the preseason. And while it still was a surprise by the end that Hawley actually got cut, it wasn't like it came completely out of left field because we saw those guys consistently working with the second string offensive lines for most of the preseason, and we sort of had a clue that, you know, something was going on with those two particular guys. In in the case of Asamoah specifically, I remember frequently opining on the podcast back then and, and on Twitter, you know, that I was expecting the Falcons to trade John Asamoah because of sort of his demotion uh, in, in terms of the depth chart at that point in time. And, you know, we'll, we'll swing back a little bit to that because there's a current situation with the current Falcons guards that we'll talk about that may potentially involve trades. But, you know, what I'll say is I don't necessarily know if we'll see something that dramatic um, where, you know, a guys where guys like Holly and, and Asamo, at least entering that summer, were two sort of can't miss starters for the Falcons at center and right guard going into 2015. And then by the end of camp, you know, one was working a second stringer on injured reserve and out for the year. And the other one was a, uh, you know, wind up playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't know if we're going to see something that dramatic happen due to not having preseason. But the point I'm trying to make is like without preseason, the potential is there that we could have something 
dramatic like that sneak up on us and, and completely come out of nowhere. And we're like, this was a thing, you know, other than maybe like, you know, one beat reporter being like, I've heard this, that this guy's in the bubble. And it's like, what, you know, on August 25th or something like that. And we're like, what, like when did this become a thing? But we'll have to sort of see. And, you know, circling back to the notion of trading John Osamoa, let's circle back and talk about how that applies to the current team, which is one of the areas I do want to talk about with my 53 man roster projection and really sort of focus in on the battle between Jamon Brown and James Carpenter, because I, I look back at that roster projection. And I say, if, if there's anything that I'm going to miss on or anything big that I'm going to miss on, it's probably potentially involving these two guys. And, you know, I sit here as I did in June today thinking it's hard for me to see the Falcons making, putting both of those guys on the roster come week one. And I'll explain exactly why I think that uh, coming up on today's podcast. But I do want to take a moment to plug your favorite daily draft podcast, whether that's Locked On NFL Draft hosted by Trevor Sikkim and Ben Solak or the Draft Dudes podcast hosted by Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino. You can find them both on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe to them on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or whatever you're listening to me right now. So I just said that, you know, it's hard for me to see both Brown and James Carpenter, Jamon Brown and James Carpenter on the team's roster come week one. And the reason why I think that is I don't think either player have the sort of positional versatility that say guys like Matt Gano and John Wetzel and Justin McRae have as backups. So even though you can sit there and say, well, you know, those guys are better, you know, Brown and Carpenter are better than those other three guys, or at least some of those other three guys. When it comes to roster construction, you know, the way it typically works is that backup offensive linemen kind of need to have that versatility to be able to play multiple positions because, you know, in the event, in the course of a football game, you'll have to sort of plug guys in in any given moment and you need to have that sort of added versatility. Now, it is fair to say that because teams are potentially able to activate eight or even nine offensive linemen this year, as opposed to the traditional seven that they have done in previous years, maybe positional versatility is not as big a concern because you can just carry an extra body. And that eighth guy doesn't necessarily could just basically be able to play like two spots rather than the three or four spots that typically you're expecting. Like a player like Gano potentially can play four spots. A player like Wetzel can play four spots and Justin McCray can play all five spots. And so maybe a guy like Jamon Brown or James Carpenter, who you're looking at probably can only play two spots on the offensive line. I know Brown was a college offensive tackle. I know Carpenter was a college offensive tackle as well, starting as a tackle uh, in his rookie year in Seattle. But, you know, but, you know, in the case of Brown, it's been like six years since he played tackle and Carpenter has been like nine years since he played tackle. So I don't think considering both as viable options at tackle makes a lot of sense, but at least in theory, because of the, the changes to the roster rules, you know, that eighth offensive lineman may not need to have as much personal uh, positional versatility. But that being said, you know, not to undermine the point I'm making here, you know, in my initial roster projection back in June, I had the Falcons cutting James Carpenter and keeping Jamon Brown in this equation where, you know, it's a zero sum game. Oh, they can only keep one. There can only be one, so to speak, you know, it's the Highlander or, or whatever. I, you know, I've never even seen Highlander, so I don't even know if that's the right reference, but, um, you know, I had them getting rid of Carpenter and that was because for two main reasons, the first one being my personal opinion that Brown is better than Carpenter, at least played like that in 2019. And the second one being, I think getting rid of Carpenter, not to be blunt, is a lot easier than getting rid of Jamon Brown. 
Now to the first point, there is a high probability that the Falcons disagree with me on that point, which in my view is fine because in general, I think that when it comes to offensive line evaluations, the Falcons have had a lot more misses than hits, uh, particularly in the Dan Quinn era. Now, when I say that, I think people are going to assume I'm referring to draft picks and I'm not really referring to the draft picks. I think, you know, in terms of their draft record on the offensive line, I think it's fine. Relatively speaking, given the, relatively limited sample size that we've had. They've drafted six offensive linemen in six years, three of those guys, Lindstrom, McGarry, Hennessy, you know, it's a little too early to judge whether or not they're those guys are successes or failures or, or whatever you want to call it. hits or misses is, is a better term. Um, and then when you look at the other three, given where they drafted, you know, Harlow Schweitzer and uh, Jake Rogers drafted in rounds four, six, and seven, you know, the fact that the, the one that you would probably consider a hit given that, you know, Schweitzer, we got, you know, what, two and a half years as a starter out of him relatively speaking is, is good for a six round pick um, is not a bad percentage. So it's not really their draft record that I'm talking about when I say they're, uh, they miss on their offensive line of options. It's the, all the other things it's who they sign, who they pay, who they w- let walk, who they decide to start those types of decisions that are made that I think the Falcons more often than not have missed and hit. Um, but without going on too much of a rant about it, cause I could probably, you know, do three whole podcasts ranting about that specific issue. Um, let's talk about the the second point I raised, which is getting rid of Carpenter being a lot easier than Brown. And basically the way I've figured it is the only way the Falcons can get rid of Javon Brown is by trading him. They could cut Harpenter as well as potentially trade him too. Although I think the trade market for Carpenter is going to be practically non-existent. You know, in general, I think we all, know that it's easier to cut a guy than it is to trade a guy because it takes two to tango and cutting a guy is you're just, you know, doing your little two step by yourself on the side of the dance floor uh, to continue that metaphor. Um, So, you know, I think you got to find a partner to trade a guy. And as I said, I don't think there's going to be much of a market for Carpenter at all, given his age, but you know, there, there's a possibility that there could be a market for Brown. I look around the league. And there are a couple of teams out there that I could imagine could be in the market for a potential starting caliber guard by months in like Jamon Brown. <coughs> Bengals. <coughs> Sorry, I had something in my throat. Um, but, you know, when it comes to offensive linemen in particular, continuity is important. And so that's why I don't know if a trade is likely because obviously you're going to be plugging and playing with a guy who's brand new to your football team and, potentially going to be expected to play, you know, a week later or less than a week later. Um, So I think that would be harder to pull off on the offensive line than it could be on other positions. But we did obviously see that ourselves when the Falcons traded for Andy Levitri back in 2015. So it's not impossible that a team could want someone like a Jamon Brown. Um, So I look at it as a situation where the Falcons could potentially dump if, if that's the right word, uh, Jamon Brown for a potential late round pick, or maybe even make a player for player swap at the end of the month. You know, I, I certainly wouldn't scoff at the Falcons, you know, being able to swing a sixth or seventh round pick or a conditional late round pick for Brown. You know, we got, we gave up two six for Levitri. You know, I, I doubt we would be able to get that much, but then again, I doubted that, you know, getting a, a second or third round pick for Muhammad Sanu seemed like a pipe dream. And then we got a second round pick. So, uh, you know, you can never know what other teams are thinking. You know, for me personally, on that note of of trading, if it was up to me, you know, if if I'm sitting here doing what I do, consulting the Falcons, I'm like, let's let's do a player for player trade. If we're going to trade Jamon Brown, let's get a player for him 
because I want a guy that's going to help me win games today, not somebody that particularly in this case, like a six round pick or something that in all likelihood is going to be out of the league in three years. So I, I say that all to basically say, like, I think it's definitely possible that a trade could develop for Brown or to a lesser extent Carpenter, but I don't think it's likely that it's going to happen that we're going to see too many teams trying to knock down the Falcons door to essentially in, in Brown's case, rent him for one year, $5 million, nearly $5 million um, this upcoming season. So when you look at the the cap situation and, and why this works the way it works is like Brown's cap hit this year is 6.6 million Carpenters is 5.1 million. If the Falcons cut Jamon Brown, they still have to pay $6.6 million, right? That's still on their books. They save $0 against the salary cap due to the guarantees in this contract. If they were to cut Carpenter, on the other hand, they would still have to pay about $4 million, you know, a little shy of $4 million, which means that they would share, save nearly $1.2 million in cap space this upcoming year. That's, you know, relatively speaking, chump change in the grand scheme of things, but it's something it, it makes it at least you a, like, you know, we can get out of the situation if we want to. So sitting here today, I don't feel confident that the Falcon, you know, you know, going, getting back to the point of why I'm bringing this up in June, I was like, yeah, they'll, they'll keep Jamon Brown and cut James Carpenter. And in my, the world that I live in where the Falcons do, perfectly rational and right things that makes perfect sense to me. But in the reality, (laughs) in the real world, (laughs) where at least from my perspective, you know, the Falcons don't do stuff like that. I could definitely see them being like, Hey, you know what? We love us some James Carpenter and, you know, peace out Jamon Brown. And and whether that includes a trade or not tough luck, you know, it just, it is what it is. So we'll see how that develops you know, as I've said many times, if it again, if I'm consulting the Falcons and again, using my superior offensive line evaluation skills, and and you can't tell me nothing in in terms of saying that isn't true. Basically, you know, the period on the end of the sentence is like, I wouldn't have paid (laughs) Tyson. But, um, you know, I'm like mic drop, but like, um, you know, if it was up to me, like Matt Gano would be the starting left guard and, and, and then problem was solved. And then, you know, if you can trade Jamon Brown, cool. If you, if you can't, then you just got a $6.6 million backup on your team. And then you just cut James Carpenter and you live the rest of your life happy and, and full of joy. If you ask me, but uh, that's where I will leave that conversation. And so the last tidbit will sort of circle back to the practice squad. And, you know, back then in June, it was a 12 man practice squad, which was an expansion from the 10 man practice squad from previous years. But now we know it's going to be 16 guys. And unfortunately two of the 12 guys that I projected back in June have already been cut in Scotty Dill and Rochester man Ferris. Um, so I guess we can probably swap out one of the other two offensive tackles, Hunter Atkinson or, or Evan Kazarzik, uh for Dill. And then I guess Josh Hawkins, who I had making the team as the last corner, um, you know, in a, pre Darquez Denard world, I guess now we can sub him in for Ferris as the replacement on the practice squad at the cornerback spot. So if you're curious on who the other uh, 10 guys I had on, on my practice squad, I had Kurt Bankert, Mikey Daniel, Chris Rowland, the wide receiver, Mikey Daniel, the running back slash fullback, uh, tight end, Jared Pinckney, offensive lineman, Justin Gooseberry, Defensive lineman, Jacob Tuoti Mariner. Defensive lineman, Austin Edwards. Linebacker, Edmund Robinson. And safety, Chris Cooper. And again, going back to what I said earlier, like, you know, I probably could swap in Cooper for Neesman 
at any point, uh, knowing the Falcons, you know, because I'm a Sherrod Neesman truther and, and believer though, you know, and I, I like Chris Cooper. I just think the Falcons trying to make him into a, a slot corner. I think it's just weird. Cause I, I don't think he has the skill set to be a slot corner, but, uh, other than that, I, I like his game. Um, but knowing the Falcons, they'll be like, yeah, we love us some Chris Cooper, which, you know, there's a lot to love about Chris Cooper, just not him playing in the slot, but maybe he's improved immensely. He's been working on it for the last, you know, 12 months, but who knows? So obviously that's 12, the 12 practice squad players that I projected then. And if, you know, to, I, I guess what I should do is project four more, right. To, to make it an even 16. But honestly, like, I don't even know how to wrap my head around having 16 players in the practice squad. Like, I'm looking at the roster like normally I can be like, you know, when there's like 63 or 65 players potentially with the 53 plus the 10 or, or 12, you're like, Oh, like it makes sense. But now with like four extra spots, it's like, now do I need 12 offensive linemen or nine receivers or seven corners? Like, you know, I don't I know. So it's, I can't even begin. It's just like, uh, just pick four other random people. And what's interesting about this summer in particular, and this will be the last point we'll make out today is like, you know, now pretty much every team with, I think a few exceptions, I don't know the Falcons, uh, like the I'm just sitting here trying to pretend like, you know, I know I'm knowledgeable of all, what, it, what else is going on in the league. I don't like I'm 90% of my energy is devoted to the Falcons. So let's assume that the rest of the league is operating just like the Falcons are. So that means every team now has 80 players on the roster. What's interesting is now that the practice squad is 16 guys, that really means that you're going to keep 69 Nice. Uh, <laughs> I'm being silly today. Uh, you know, 69 guys on your team. And so really you only have to cut like 11 guys this summer as opposed to previous years. Now, obviously most teams don't wind up keeping all internal guys on their practice squad. And they, you know, scoop up guys off the waiver wire and whatnot. And I, even though I think there's probably a, a decent chance that we'll see less of that this year due to the COVID stuff um, in the, in the longer turnaround for claiming guys. And then you like put in a claim for a guy and then you have to, he has to get tested for three days before you can be like, okay, now you can come and, and, and join us. Um, so that may put a dent in sort of as much waiver wire movement that we typically see at the middle end of August and the beginning of September in most years. But it is interesting that there aren't going to be this massive amount of cuts. I mean, you know, you know, 32 times 11, it's still a lot of dudes getting cut. So don't, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying that it's a small number, but relatively speaking, you're not, you're not going from 90 to 53. Like it used to be like it was 32 times, you know, 37 or 40 or whatever the math is, you know, it was a lot more. It was like over a thousand guys that got cut. Now it's just going to be a few hundred. So I do wonder sort of how that changes, how teams approach the practice squad to the point where it's like, you know, at least in specific cases, when we're talking about the Falcons, you know, the Danny Etlings and the Sean Harlow's of the world, guys that I projected to not be on the Falcons roster or not to make the practice squad in June, you know, now that the practice squad has been expanded, you know, maybe those guys have better odds of, of sticking at least on the practice squad moving forward. So, um, you know, I'm a little disappointed that we're not going to have preseason, even though it was always tedious for me to go through the preseason games to glean their depth chart, but it was at least helpful for me for, you know, roster nerds like me, cause it always fed my ego to be like, I was the king of the roster nerds. And now, you know, unfortunately, because I don't have that access to that information that the preseason gives us now, I'm just a peasant like the rest of you. So I don't know how you guys live yourself. So 
If uh, you could tell me how you managed to make it through the day, knowing that you're a roster peasant, please let me know by emailing me at lockdownfalcons at mail.com or sending in your feedback to Lockdown Falcons on Twitter or Lockdown Falcons on Facebook. And uh, I would eagerly hear how you, you, you commoners deal with it on a day-to-day basis so that I can try to wrap my head around it and, and pretend to be a pauper for at least the next few weeks. Uh, so we will come back with more Locked On Falcons content. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Until then, guys. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.